Hey, hey, happy Monday. So this show is all about all things personal development. It's about adopting a leadership mindset so that we can show up more fully in all of our roles, positively impact the next generation, and create a life that we love, where we feel fulfilled. And many of you know, if you've been a listener for a while, that I gave up alcohol, which was one of the hardest things that I've ever done because, you know, like a lot of moms today, I loved my wine, like loved it. But it's been a big part of my personal development journey. And so from time to time on this show, I talk about that part of my story, my complicated relationship with alcohol, my struggle giving it up, and how it's changed my life since I have. And sometimes I like to bring in other people who can relate to this part of my journey, who are also sober, who are also working on themselves and changing their life. And so today I have an inspiring interview for you with a fellow mama, someone who I can personally relate to so much. Her name is Bridget Koval. Bridget is also a sober mom. She has four kids. She's a registered nurse and a certified life and health coach. According to Bridget, she was the mom who looked like she had it all together, but secretly she was just surviving. Getting sober and becoming a coach has taught her how to regain self-love and acceptance and really discover who she has always been. She now has the honor of helping moms who feel like they are not enough, gain back their self-confidence and find purpose in their busy life. In this inspiring episode, we talk about mindset, the different ways in which we all buffer from pain and try to numb shame, not just drinking, but through, you know, maybe smoking or overeating, shopping, scrolling, checking out, however it is, the ways in which we all try to feel normal and try to take control of the outcomes in our life. We talk about the thoughts that cause us to have certain feelings, which leads to us doing things to manage those feelings that result in the outcomes we don't want. We talk about how to change the outcomes in our life by changing our thoughts. If you are a busy mom, you need more motivation and inspiration, and you want more confidence, you want to live a life you love, you are going to love this episode today. Thanks for being here. When you work on yourself, you make the world a better place. I'm so glad you're here. This is the Motivation for Mom Show, a personal development podcast for moms, hosted by certified life coach and fellow mama, Sarah Munder. Each week, Sarah will bring you motivation, inspiration, and personal empowerment to help you show up even stronger for your family and be the mom and woman you were meant to be. You sacrifice so much of yourself every day, and it's time to take at least a few minutes and invest this time into nurturing yourself and filling your soul. You are worthy and you deserve it. Ready, Mama? Before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to download your free copy of The Mama Miracle, which is a worksheet I created to help you get out of a rut, start your day with clarity and intention, and start manifesting some really positive changes in your life. Mom life can feel really hard at times, and sometimes we just need to take a few minutes and brain dump everything that we feel isn't working and get crystal clear on what positive changes we want to welcome into our life. The Mama Miracle Worksheet was originally one of my best-selling products, but I'm giving it to you for absolutely free. Just go to themamamiracle.com, click on the banner at the top of the page, Put in your name and best email address and I'll email it over to you immediately so you can print it out and fill it out as many times as you need to get your mind right and start creating some mama miracles. You have more power than you realize and I'd love to help you find that power in this life-changing worksheet. So go get your copy of The Mama Miracle for free at themamamiracle.com. Now, go enjoy the episode. Bridget, I'm so happy to have you on finally. This has been a long time coming. Um, for those of you who are listening, Bridget is like my doppelganger twin in this world. Her and I have 
so much in common. We're both sober moms. We're both coaches. We both have many, many children. <laughs> Feels like sometimes it's it's a lot. So, um, you know, what? I'm just going to let you introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do, who you help, and all that good stuff. Okay. All right. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I'm so excited. Yeah, I agree. It's We've been chatting for a while now, so it's good to, to see your face and connect. Um, I'll just share a little bit of my story, if that's okay, and kind of how I got Perfect. here. Yeah. Um, so I was, my name is Bridget. I was born and raised on the East Coast in a totally normal family, normal childhood, happily married parents, um, very normal. I never felt normal. I was always too sensitive, too energetic, too intense. Um, and then, so alcohol was a part of my life early on in high school, but it was really actually something that made me feel more normal, helped me fit in, kind of mellowed me out. Um, but just in my real life, in my family, I never felt um, like I fit. So fast forward to when I was 18, actually, I got pregnant with my oldest. And that was probably where the turning point was, I went from being this black sheep to kind of being, and black, you know, black sheep, meaning that was my perception, um, to being this like hero. Now, I decided to have my my son. And I, when he was three, I actually married his dad. We didn't know each other when I got pregnant. Um, but we got married. By all accounts, outside looking in, we were a success story. We got our degrees, went on to have three more kids, um, had the house, the cars, the jobs, all the things. Um, and I had really grown to love being the hero, <laughs> the hero in my story. So I started to really hide the like ugly parts. Um, and so I guess with each child, and maybe you can relate, I would not drink. Um, Although my fourth child, I did drink a little bit, but like with I would, your pregnancy, yeah, yeah. So I would, but w after each child, the drinking just got worse and worse and worse. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I mean, as you can see, I'm a little person, so I would just convince myself, I it's just because I'm little, I can't handle mm -hmm. my alcohol, or um, you know, I I just, but everywhere I would like look, everywhere I would meet, I would meet another mom that kind of drank like I did, drank. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we would have playdates and drink. That was our self-care. We would have mm -hmm. fun. And so we really, like, I had just all these reasons why it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't mm -hmm. a problem. Um, but again, it slowly turned into a problem. And I loved, like I said, I always say kind of being the hero. So I hid the parts that it just stopped being fun. It stopped being fun. And it started, I started doing it alone. Um, it became, you know, it became every night, I would hand bedtime off to my husband because I deserved a glass of wine and I would go mm -hmm. down and that one glass of wine would turn into a bottle, um, sometimes two bottles by myself. Mm -hmm. So I just had this like inkling, like something wasn't right. Something wasn't right. Um, and did anybody else, sorry, I'm going to have to stop you because I can relate to your yeah. story so much. At that point, did anybody else worry for you or was it all like, did you just kind of hide your worries about it? Yeah. So, I mean, I would wake up it was so much shame. Like I would be like, Oh my God, I've just completely blacked out my night. Oh my gosh. Sometimes I'd go out with friends and come home and finish drinking and completely black out. But I would mm -hmm. wake up and, and meet with my friends and they would laugh about getting drunk. They would laugh about the drunken night. So I would rub it off. The only person that really knew not only how much I was drinking, cause I would drink before and after the events. Um, what, and how much shame I would wake up with was my husband. And mm -hmm. he, he knew it. He saw it. He was the only one. Um, and he really played this role of just like letting me figure it out. Like I was never threatened by him. I was never threatened he was going to leave. Um, but yeah, he knew. He knew. And I, that kind of leads me up to when I stopped because people are like, what was the stopping point? Like, was there this magical moment? And I would say up until this point, the drinking, I convinced myself really only affected me. I showed up for my kids. I showed up for work. I showed up for my marriage. Like I didn't think I was hurting anybody, but mm -hmm. on March 15th, 2019, I went out with girlfriends for her birthday and I was pre-gaming pre at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And my husband came home and I remember seeing his face. I remember seeing his face and it was like this utter disappointment. Like I'm done. I am done mm -hmm. with the shit. Like, sorry, I cuss. <laughs> Um, I'm we cuss on the show. It's okay. Oh, okay, great, great, mm -hmm. great, great. Um, 
he had, I, I, I will never forget his face. And I, I won't say I stopped drinking because of him, but it was the first time something clicked. Like the drinking is not just affecting me. It is not, it is mm -hmm. hurting the people that I love. He knew what the night was going to turn into. He had had it. And then later that night he had basically outed me to my friends. He had outed me and said like, you have, why don't you want to know what's wrong? Cause I was causing so much drama about he's mad at me and all the stuff. And he said, you want to know what's wrong? Ask her why she blacks out every single night. And I, and then I blacked out. <laughs> I don't remember the rest <laughs> yeah. of the night, but I remember mm -hmm. the morning and the morning was, I wasn't mad at him, but I was, I mean, the shame I talked to you about, Sarah, like that shame was tenfold that morning. I was, I yeah. felt like I was outed. My secret was out. Um, and it, it was probably the hardest, but the bravest and the best thing my husband could have done for me because March 16th, yeah. 2019, I said, that's it. I can't do this anymore. Like I'm Good done. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you do? How did you stop? Did you do it on your own? No, no. Do we ever do it on our own? Um, <laughs> no. So I actually, I woke up and I did say, I'm going to do something different. And I have alcoholics in my family. My brother is uh, um, sober for mm -hmm. four years now. And so he did AA and it was very successful. So I was like, I'm going to just try it. And I went awesome. for the first 30 days and I journaled about it. And I have so much respect for AA. I learned so much wisdom. Um, but again, it just, I didn't fit in. I, I tried, mm -hmm. I tried every meeting out there. Um, I don't think AA was wrong at all, but along the way, I read two books that brought me into the coaching world and just mm -hmm. changed the game. Um, Ooh, what books were those? Yeah. So the first one was on the drinking. I did the naked mind by Annie Grace. And it was the first time that I realized, oh my God, it's actually not, if I can actually just change my viewpoint and my, my uh, mindset on alcohol, I might actually be able to stop this because up until mm -hmm. that point, I had tried to stop. I had tried every moderation. I had tried doing 30 days and all I the rules. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Only yeah. wine on the weekends. I'd buy just yeah. the little bottles. Like I did it all. Um, so Annie Grace was the naked mind was the first one where I started to understand my mindset might be the, the, the tool that I need. Mm -hmm. Um, then I was probably, I think when I became sober, I think when I hit like day 31, I stopped going to AA mm -hmm. um, for no other reason. I think it was just convenience and I just didn't feel like I mm -hmm. fit. But I realized, and maybe you can relate, it was not my drinking that was the problem. I mean, it really mm -hmm. wasn't. It was my thinking. Mm -hmm. and yeah, stinking thinking, as they say. Yeah, <laughs> and that line stuck with me. And that was from AA. Like, it's not your drinking, it's your thinking. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I, I literally like flashbacks from, the whole story I just told you, like every time I felt like I didn't fit in, it was my thinking. It was my thinking. It was my thinking. And it just, yeah, it, it changed everything. So um, it was like the story that you created, but I'm curious though, with that, was it, see, cause I think for some people, for me, it's, it's kind of, I agree with you that it is the thinking. It's always our thinking, whatever reality that we have in our life always comes back to our thoughts. Our thoughts create our feelings, our feelings create our reality. Um, but I still like for me personally, this is just, you know, everybody's journey and relationship with alcohol is different. I kind of have to go about it both ways. Like I have to remind myself that it is my thinking and mindset, but it's also the alcohol just for me personally, because what my alcoholic brain would try to tell me is that, well, if it's just my mindset and if I change my mindset, then maybe I can try to figure out a way to drink normally. Yes. And then I would always come back to like those rules and creating these boundaries around it, which would just never work. And so I did have to come to accept that I just simply cannot drink alcohol. Like it's, it's non-negotiable. It's off the table. What about yeah. you? Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I have actually had people go, wow, it seems so easy that you stopped. And I am, I a hundred percent agree with you. The first year wasn't easy at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had so many times where I would cry to my husband and be like, I just want to drink. Like, and it absolutely was getting the, because I was relearning. It's a habit. So I was, yeah. I, the first year of sobriety was me relearning how to live sober. And that was, yeah. I definitely relied on what I learned in AA. I learned on, I relied on sober community. I still rely on that stuff like sober mm -hmm. community. Um, but the second year, the sec, my second year of sobriety, it was easy in the fact that I don't crave alcohol anymore. I don't because what I've learned is that I, for me, I never really craved alcohol. And when I say that, mm. I thought I was craving alcohol. What I was craving was freedom, 
mm. relaxation. I was craving connection to people. Yeah. I felt like I didn't fit in. And so yeah. once I realized that and that clicked, anytime I wanted to drink, that's where mindset was so powerful for me. I was like, I'm not really craving wine right now. Like that's poison. It is poison right. I'm putting in my body. And when I have a sparkling kombucha, it does the same thing. What am I really craving right now? And that's yeah. where the second year, it really, it has been fine. I can be around people that drink for me. And I agree, my, my story is different. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there are moms out there that I didn't need to go to rehab. I don't need to go to two meetings a day. And people that do, do what works for you. But for me, yeah. as soon as I figured out that it was the mindset, mm -hmm. um, I, I just dove head into that. So when you said, what was the second book? Second book that changed my world and kind of brought me into coaching was Byron Katie, um, Loving What Is. And it just, it changed everything where I, exactly what you thought said, like your beliefs create your experience, you know? Um, yeah. Well, and like you said before, um, going back to that point of why you were drawn to alcohol was you were talking about how it made you feel normal. It made you feel like you fit in and that you weren't this black sheep anymore. What do you think it was about alcohol? And then I really want to get into your coaching story and how you um, picked up these tools that I'm sure helped you, you know, especially that second year. But um, what was it about alcohol that made you just feel normal? Um, well, looking back, I don't think it made, so when I said like drinking really wasn't a problem in high school, it was a problem. I was mm. always the outrageous drunk. What made <laughs> me feel normal is I didn't realize any of that. So mm. when you brought sober me to a party, I was acutely aware of how different I was and unique I was, which we all are unique. I was right. acutely aware of that, but I thought the uniqueness made me like, um, um, like not good, like bad. Like I just felt so mm -hmm. much shame. So the alcohol didn't make me feel normal. It covered up the shame. Mm. I was still drawing attention to myself, being crazy because I am, I'm a crazy energetic person, but, um, the drinking just kind of numbed the shame part. So I felt yeah. like I was almost able to be myself, meaning I didn't care what people thought. And that was what yeah. um, has been the coolest thing about sobriety is just mm -hmm. kind of being able to be myself. Yeah. I'm curious since you, how long have you been sober now? You said since two years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, congratulations. That's, that's Thank incredible. You. I'm curious how, how did sobriety change what you perceived was possible for you at that point? And like what you perceived you were capable of, like, did it open up this new world to you? Um, well, at first I didn't tell people, I didn't tell people about my sobriety the first 90 days. Um, that was a very big secret. So I didn't really do it to share with the world and, and, you know, help other mamas going through this or anything like that. That was never my goal. Um, I think it just, it made me, I mean, it just, because alcohol numbed the negative feelings, right? It numbed the worry and the shame but it also numbed my joy. Like I didn't enjoy being a mom. I didn't enjoy my marriage. I didn't enjoy anything. So the first thing I noticed when I got sober after the physical effects wore off were I was happy. I was literally waking up and I had energy and I was productive. And um, so no, I didn't know what would transpire and I didn't get sober to have this coaching life, but God, it felt so good. It just felt good. Like I still had yeah. really bad days, but the good was back. Mm -hmm. And that was the part I was like, oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, that's awesome. Life. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder how many people are depriving themselves of that happiness and joy and those feelings of like feeling alive because they've just never considered what a life without alcohol would be right. like, or like, right. it's just always been a part of their journey. It's never been a problem. Um, gosh. And you, this is what makes our journey is so unique and individual to us because I, I will have to say that's one part of your story. I cannot relate to. I felt like crap when I stopped drinking, okay. I um, was, I was miserable. Um, I didn't like the way that I felt um, in my body and my feelings. It took a while. I, I put in a year of sobriety in 2019 as well and it took a few, it took some time for me to like learn how to be sober, like you said, yeah. and like learn how to feel my feelings um, without wanting to numb them. And um, yeah, it took some time. But once I 
gave it up and started to put some time in and build up that self-confidence because confidence comes from competence. And it's like, Mm -hmm. when you do something that's hard for me, it was like, well, geez, if I can do this, which was by far the hardest thing that I had ever done was give up alcohol. If I can do this, what else am I capable of? Like for me, it really opened up that big wide world of like, well, gee, like, I feel like I can go cure cancer now. Like there was just so much potential in me that I knew I was holding myself back with, with alcohol. Yeah, no, that's true. That's, that is, and that is beautiful. And yeah, I mean, the beginning is hard. I admit, I agree with you, Sarah, the beginning is hard and I felt like crap too. Um, I think I've just always been such a, like, I'm going to go in, I'm going to go all in. Yeah. And when I made the decision on March 16th, I, I mean, when I say I went all in, I like every second of my day was spent understanding the brain, understanding my behavior, understanding why I drank because it wasn't, I knew, I I knew I had done, I knew I had taken alcohol out of my life before and I didn't do the work, the work, you know, like there's, there's the work in AA. When I say the work, I'm talking about the work Byron Katie talks about, which Uh is the work, like explore your thoughts, explore your beliefs, because that's, what's creating your result. That's why you keep drinking. Um, Okay. So tell us now how this led to what you're doing now, because I think that this is so, so inspiring. Well, thank you. Um, So Byron Katie, I Googled her on a podcast and I came up with the life coach school and she immediately started talking about Byron Katie. Um, Big fan of the life coach school, by the way. Big fan. Um, So I use the model with my clients. If you're not familiar, go check it out. Um, Brooke Castillo developed this model, but the model's not new. It's just a really tangible tool to use. Um, and then, so that was like one week. And then I'm talking to my brother, who's a social worker. He's like, have you heard of life coaching? I hadn't even told him I was sober yet. I'm like, nope. So I joined a group coaching program. I had stopped AA. I joined a group coaching program. It had nothing to do with alcohol, mm-hmm. but it was it me- Brooke Castillo's. No, it's Jody Moore. Be bold. Okay. She's, she's from the life coach school, but it was, um, jo- I found Jody Moore through Brooke Castillo. So it was like this domino effect. Um, uh-huh. Anyways, it was the first time where I was like, wow, this woman never talks about drinking, never mentions drinking, but she talks about buffers. She talks about, because alcohol's our thing. Every single mom listening to this podcast has a thing. Maybe it's shopping or scrolling or yelling Mm -hmm. at your kids or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. We have a thing that we avoid pain. We seek pleasure and we conserve energy. Mm -hmm. If you have a human brain, you have a thing. Right. Um, And so I, I, the group coaching clicked for me. I was able to get through my day with my kids flipping their lids and I wouldn't lose my mind with the tools I learned. I was able to sit down and explain to my husband how I was feeling without blaming him for my feelings with mm-hmm. the tools that I learned. That's a big um, one. Yeah. So it was, it was instant. I mean, w- when you have an issue with alcohol, you like, everybody likes instant gratification. I was seeing instant changes in my life when I started applying these tools. So I got certified, um, not through the life coach school, but I decided to get, cause I'm a registered nurse too. So I got a health and a life dual certification. Um, and a lot of the tools were similar and I just jumped into it. I just started telling people what I was doing, sharing my journey kind of simultaneously about alcohol. Um, and I was just, I don't know, I was shocked by how many people didn't know these tools and by how many people were inspired by the sobriety piece of it. And so they kind of just melded melded mm-hmm. a word. They just kind of like yeah. um, came together and yeah. So I built, I actually built my coaching business instead of, I'm like, it's not solely based on sobriety, but sobriety was what pushed me into it. Right. Yeah. Sobriety, I always say was the key that unlocked it. And then yes. I found coaching and that was coaching was where I found what you described my potential and yeah, you know, all the stuff. Um, but I named my business instead of drink. I knew, co- I knew sobriety, I knew drinking was a part of it. So instead of drink and drive, I named it think and thrive. Um, mm. and so that's the name of my coaching business and it has just, yeah, I've, I've just, I've loved every part of it and I, it's what I meant to do. I just love it. Can you explain buffering to us and maybe kind of talk us through the parts of the model that you think, um, that you're willing to share how, just talk us through how you help your clients. Yeah. Well, so buffering is in, and buffering is not really a, the term I use, but what it is, is in the model, you have your thoughts, your thoughts cause a feeling, your feelings. So um, feelings are emotions. The word emotion has the word motion in it, right? It is 
specifically designed to drive you into motion, to drive you into action. So, so often, and then from our actions, we get everything we experience. We get our life. We get the results. But so often, we skip the feeling, the thinking and the feeling. We notice the feeling, but we think it's because of something outside of us. We think it's because of our kids, our husband, the, the fact that we didn't get invited to a party. Um, gosh, what else? I could go. The alcohol. I mean, the, even the alcohol was my circumstance. It's something outside of me. It never created my feelings ever, ever, ever. We have a thought about the circumstance. And it happens so fast. We're in such a like, go, go, go mood. So what buffering is in that model, buffering is your action. So Mm -hmm. it's something you do to get rid of the feeling. But there's a feeling that happens first. So if your buffering is overeating, it's not like so many people focus on the number of the scale, but really what it is is slowing down and being like, like I just said, you're not craving that cookie. What are you really Mm -hmm. craving? What is the Mm -hmm. feeling that you're after? You're always after a feeling. And then when you have that feeling, then we do certain tools on understanding, like, how do you actually cultivate that feeling in your life, right? Mm -hmm. It's not as simple as just thinking positive. You have to really, like, get in the mindset of somebody that feels that way and really understand what they're believing and telling themselves and then, like, put that into practice in your life. Um, So instead of focusing so much on the action or the habit, right, like... um, like stopping drinking or stopping overeating. I focus on the thought because that's Mm -hmm. what's driving the feeling. So do you have any examples of um, clients that you've worked with that have been able to redirect their actions by doing what you are talking about, focusing on the thoughts first? Yeah, absolutely. So I have, and it's funny, um, I am a sober mom, but I've actually attracted a lot of women um, I've worked with sober moms, absolutely sober, curious moms, but a lot of women that have other buffers, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, dude. Um, so the one mom that comes to mind is um, she was smoking pot and smoking cigarettes, and um, that's the other beautiful thing about coaching is it's such a like non-judgmental space, right? Ever, like, there's no judgment, no shame. So right. what we discovered with her is she thought it was a, this physical addiction, but she's like, everyone tells me I'm not, it can't be physically addicted to weed, and I'm sure a part of that. You know, I'm sure there's a physical addiction a little bit, but really what it was about was slowing it down to, so we did this whole awareness week of just being aware of your triggers. Like Mm -hmm. when are the times that you want to smoke? What is actually going on around you? What is your circumstance? So she'd come back with, and she'd talk to me about her circumstance. And then I would bring up the model and be like, that's actually not what's causing you to smoke. Your kids having tantrums and you not being able to have time to do what you want is time kids, husband, that's not causing you to feel overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. That was her, that was her main driving reason for why she smoked. She was Mm -hmm. feeling overwhelmed. So when we slowed it down, it was, it it came down to the, it always comes down to a limit, a core limiting belief is what I call it. Mm -hmm. And her core limiting belief was, I'm just, I'm not doing enough. I'm never doing enough. No matter what I do with my kids, I'm not enough. And that is what led to the overwhelm. And the overwhelm for her, because, and then that's the other thing. I actually believe everything that we do that's negative has a positive intention. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I don't need to judge you or shame you for smoking weed. Like you're doing it to try to feel better from the overwhelm. Right. Um, And as soon as that clicked for her, she did what I did with alcohol. She, every time she was um, craving weed, she was just like, okay, I'm not craving pot. What am I actually craving? And maybe she was craving time alone. Maybe she was craving, um, she just got back to that the whole self-care, but it, it really took her slowing down mm-hmm. to understand her model. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree with that 100%. Um, in fact, I had a, a, a recent interaction with a client as well who um, was talking about you know, her thing was losing it on her family when the house was feeling chaotic. I mean, we can all relate to this. We all find ourselves in that situation with lots of kids and dogs and spouses running around and just a lot going on. When her life was feeling chaotic, she would lose her temper on her family and immediately feel guilty and go through the whole cycle. And she asked me if I have any advice on what to do in that moment. And I just simply asked her because, you know, as coaches, we don't necessarily give advice, but we're, we try to help the client get to the answer on their own by asking the right questions. And I asked her, when you're in that moment, 
and you get to that point of losing it, what is it? What is the story that you're telling yourself about yourself in that yeah. moment? Because like you said, it's not about the mess. It's not about the kids. It's about something going on inside of you, something that you yeah. are telling yourself about yourself. I'm not good enough. I don't do enough. I let it get to this point. There is something wrong with me. I am incapable as a mom. And so we push our feelings of negativity and anger about ourselves onto our family. Yeah. Because we have to let it out somehow. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I would just, I, the example is I would love to share with your audience, like an empowering thought that has helped me. Yes. And maybe, maybe you use it. Um, because, and I, I learned this, this is not mine. We all learn from other people and then we kind of make it our own. Um, but when your toddler's having that tantrum or freaking out, you're right. Sometimes we make it mean something about us. I think the other thing we do is that's where the shoulds come in. Mm -hmm. They should be listening to us. My husband should be helping. And that's what you question. That's what Byron Katie taught me. Like question that. Should should your four-year-old be listening to you? Is that really what a four-year-old's designed to do? Because they're supposed to like process their world and they process their world by questioning everything, right? Mm -hmm. So the empowering thought I get to is I'm feeling angry and overwhelmed, right? That's my like indication to pause and check in with my thoughts. And like you said, the story I'm telling myself. Mm -hmm. And then I just like very simply go, wow, like my four-year-old's doing a really good job being a four-year-old today. Yeah. Like he's nailing, <laughs> he's nailing in that role. Or like my husband's doing a really good job at sitting on his phone today and being him. Like that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Um, and it's, it's so true. It's like when we name it, we tame it. And oh, I love that, that also takes so much of the pressure off to feel like we have to do something about it. Um, have you read the book? by Mark Manson, The Subtle Art of Not Giving Enough. No, it, but I will. It's such a good book. I have it on my bookshelf. And it's just like this whole idea of when you just stop taking everything so personally, you're able to, like, that's when you have the freedom to step in your highest self and and become the person you want to be and reach your goals because you're not being distracted by like all the things you're doing wrong. And I think that there's, you know, on this show, I talk a lot about leadership as a mom and we control the tides in our family. And that mm. ultimately, you know, if something's not working for us, we can change it. If something's not working for our family, if there is a lot of chaos, there is a lot within our power that we can do to take the lead right. in our family to change those things. But when, but we have to do it from a place of this is the outcome that I want. And if it's not where, if, if life isn't where I want it to be, it's not because there's something wrong with me. It's not because mm -hmm. I'm doing something wrong. And that's the only way to create change is when you can detach it from your ego. Amen. Yeah. Hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I mean, along the lines of kind of what you said, like not taking anything personal, the book I thought of was The Four Agreements. Have you read that? Yes. Great book. Okay. Great book. And one of them is not to take anything personal. But when you look at the model, this is how you don't take anything personal. When your kids are flipping out, when your husband's not helping, when you're, I don't know, give me another example of something your moms deal with. Um, yeah. When just people aren't, doing what you want them to do, whether it's like okay. your family yeah. or like people at work or. Yeah, totally. So they're saying or saying or doing something. So that's in their action line, mm -hmm. right? Where are their actions coming from? Mm -hmm. Their feelings, where are their feelings coming from? Their thoughts. So it's never about you ever. Right. It might be about a thought about you, but it's never about you. So when you're, you're feeling disrespected or, or someone's not listening to you, that's where the coach, the coaching world is stop judging and just get curious. But it's true. Get super curious about like, what is their behavior about? It's not about you. What's going on for that person? Right. And that's how you start to detach. And that, that's also like all my perfectionist moms out there. You know, perfectionism is an illusion, all the stuff. But the truth is, is you really are not in charge of their experience ever, even your kids. Right. You're not in charge of their experience because their experience comes from their feelings and their thoughts. Right. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned perfectionism. I have a lot of clients that struggle with control, with being able to let go of control, of always wanting to have control when things don't go their way. They just 
feel like they crumble and they just spiral. They spiral out of control. So how do you help clients with this who struggle with perfectionism and wanting to have control? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, I, I'm just going to mention the model one more time because yes. if they go to Google it and can pull it up, mm-hmm. um, if you go to my my page, I share about it all the time. But if the thought is I'm trying to control someone outside of me, it makes you feel whatever, overwhelmed, stressed, anxious. Mm-hmm. You take some action. Maybe your action is yell at the kids for not listening. Maybe your action is um, avoid, hide, whatever. The result is, if, you're, if your thought is, I'm trying to control someone outside of me, the result is you're the only one showing up out of control, right? You're out of control in your mind, or you are literally outing, acting out of control. So what I do when I slow that down and show it to my client, they're like, yep, that's me. So they get to actually see you wanting control is not producing the result you want, ever. It's actually not even touching the person you're trying to control, Right. So they're like, yeah. So then we break it down like weird control comes from fear, right? It always comes from fear. Right. But it doesn't come from, it doesn't come from fear of, it comes from fear that you won't be able to handle what goes awry. Mm -hmm. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. So what I do with the control thing is getting back to trusting yourself, trust, because you can't control it. You cannot control that your toddler is going to throw a tantrum and target. You can't. Mm -hmm. You can bring all the snacks. You can bring all the drinks, all the toys. You can't control it. So if you can just start to build up the trust that I can, first of all, his actions are not a reflection of me. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing I teach him. Um, And then the second thing is really understanding that this control is from fear that you won't be able to handle the shame or the chaos or whatever's going on. And when you can build up that trust, I mean, you don't, you don't really have a need to control because you know that you've got your back no matter what happens. Right. Um, but it's, it's a hard process to unlearn. I agree. And I, and I agree with that. I always talk about how we are more capable than we give ourselves credit for. We are more powerful than we think. And when we are able to notice that, you know, name it to tame it and notice our feelings. And we just kind of ground ourselves in that moment of feeling like we're losing control. It models for our children how to notice their feelings and how to just be present. And, you know, this circles back to sobriety when for me, especially like, you know, I'm just, again, making sobriety very personal because we all experience it differently, but when I'm feeling out of control and I notice myself wanting to go to alcohol and craving a drink because it brings me back to center, it grounds me. And one thing that my therapist has really helped me learn is new techniques of grounding myself. And he's like, you know what, let's stop calling it self-medicating because that is what it is. It's self-medicating, trying to just get control of yourself. But let's start calling it self-soothing what are other ways that you can self-soothe? And so he actually had me write a whole list of ways to self-soothe. And I think this is something that applies to our children as well. It's like we can help them develop those tools and those skills to help themselves in that moment when they're out of control. And if they can't, or they're not old enough, or they just simply do not have it within them to control their tantrum because they're kids, they're still, they still have that lizard brain going on. Um, You know, and that's why I love Dr. Dan Siegel. He always he he always talks about this about how um, the lizard brain kicks in. Are you familiar with him? I'm not, but I love the term lizard brain. Yeah, so I, yeah. he has a few books that I love: "The Whole Brain Child," "Parenting from the Inside Out," um, "No Drama Discipline" is one of my favorites, and. Um, they all help to understand what's happening in the child's brain. And okay. it all comes down to, they just simply, like like you were saying earlier, they just simply are being a four-year-old. They're just, yeah. they don't have it within them to act any differently. But with time and with watching us and what watching what we model for them, they can start to learn these tools. And, you know, it's like yeah. perfect example yesterday. My, my daughter's five and I have noticed that five is a really tough age. with uh, both my older girls so far. Five's been one of the hardest. Um, She, she lost it. She just, she had one of those days that she just got home from school and I could just tell she was being really stubborn. She had a lot going on inside her brain and her emotions were getting the best of her. 
And um, she's just, she's stubborn to begin with. And so when she gets in these emotional spirals, it gets real crazy and she gets violent. And yeah. like, again, you know, when, when I started noticing this happening, it was like, what am I doing wrong as a mom yeah. that my child is like acting so violent and just cannot control her temper. And it had, it took a lot of work for me to detach from that and just go, this is her experience. This has nothing to do with me. She needs help regulating herself in this moment. And and every child needs something different. But for her, yeah. I've found that the best thing to do is just let her do her thing. I mean, sometimes I have to like physically restrain her from hurting one of her siblings. But if she's not hurting anyone, I just have to kind of let her go through her process and go take some time and be alone. And she'll go upstairs and she'll slam doors and she'll scream in her room. And there's nothing I can do in that moment except just let her ride out that crazy wave. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, she's not hurting anyone. Yeah. I think that's, that's, she's expressing it. I know. And it's hard in that moment as a mom yeah. to just kind of let it be and let it go. When I know that she, you know, in a way it feels like she's suffering, right? Like, and I just right. want to fix it. And I mean, the rest of us are down here, like <laughs> in a way kind of suffering too. But you know, I've had, my husband wanted to go up there and he was like, you know what? I really want to go try to connect with her. And I was like, I know that that's a really good intention, but I know her and that's not going to help. So right. it's like, just let her write it out. And just a few minutes later, she came into my office with a book. She like put her arms up for me to pick her up. I put her on my, she just started bawling on my shoulder Aww. and just let it all out. And I was like, it's okay. It's okay. And then she was perfectly fine again. Yeah. <laughs> we read a book and yeah. went on with our day. So, so yeah, it takes a lot of work to be able to detach though. Um, is there any, but I think yeah. one of the hardest parts about that though, is that we think like you, you kind of said it. And then we like, obviously you've done a lot of work and I, I was the same way when my oldest was young, we are uncomfortable by other people's emotions. Yeah. The same as we're uncomfortable with our emotions. Right? right. Because if she's flipping out, something's wrong. Right. If something's not wrong with her, it's gotta be wrong with me. Right. That's the shame blame trap that we talk about. But, um, nothing's wrong. Yeah. Like nothing is wrong. That's like, people do think when I'm sober now, I don't know if anyone's ever asked you like, Oh, like, so you don't ever like freak out or worry anymore. I'm like, no, I worry all every day. Yeah. Every day I worry every day. I feel overwhelmed and freak out. The difference is I don't add shame and judgment and try to fix it. This is just like part of the deal. This is just part of the deal for the kids, for your kids. This is part of the deal for us. And our job is not to fix them. Our job is just to be a part of their experience. And I love that you just let her scream and slam. Like, good for her yeah. for learning. And I think you're right. It's like, especially when we hear our child cry, when we hear our babies cry, we think that they're suffering, like, because it's so right. painful to listen to, especially as a mom. There's just like something instinctual inside of us that's like, yeah. have to get baby to stop crying, right? Yeah. And my mom always reminds me, they're just crying. That's how they're processing their feelings. It does not hurt to cry. It actually yeah. feels good to cry. Yeah. If they, they're doing something right. Right. Exactly. Instead of just bottling it up and then, you know, yeah. later on in life, turning to unhealthy measures to, to process their feelings. So let it all out, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what are your favorite ways to process your like feelings or overwhelm or whatever? For me, exercise is a really big part of my yeah. life. Um, you know, it's been proven that exercise helps to process stress and get those yeah. stress chemicals out of our body. Um, meditation and breathing exercises is really helpful to me. Um, but, you know, just simply, like I said earlier, just naming it to tame it. I think that when you shine a light on something, it becomes a lot less scary. And so if I kind of just give myself just the space to just be honest about where I'm at and how I'm feeling, sometimes just looking at it helps mm -hmm. to just kind of, oh, well, now that it's out there, it's not so bad. I can kind of move on, you know? Yeah. yeah what about yeah. you? I agree. Um, well, you said it. I, I Exercise is important too, but meditation has been, I never sit still ever unless I'm laying down to go to bed. Yeah. Um, like my least favorite chore is laundry because I'm sitting and doing it. Yeah. But, so meditation has been really hard to learn, but it has been unbelievably helpful in me not reacting to everything that's coming up. Or everything that's happening. Um, and then journaling. Journaling has been huge for me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the breathing techniques and, and oils. I'm a big oil lover. They have been. Oh, yeah. Um, replaced my alcohol with 
my oils. Oh, I love <laughs> it. I know my, you know, at first going back to the list of self soothing techniques, my therapist was like, you know, could you, um, could you go in the pantry and like open up bottles of herbs and, and mm. smell them? <laughs> and at first I was like, dude, like you are comparing sniffing basil to the effect that like wine gives me. Cause he was trying to help me like think of self-soothing techniques other than drinking wine. And I was like, it's just not the same. Like nothing will give me that same feeling of like relaxation and that high yeah. of like a glass of wine. And then, um, yeah, I noticed myself judging that recommendation. And then I went back to, cause I have a degree in complementary and alternative health. And uh-huh. there is a form of therapy called, um, uh, Aroma. Yeah, thank you. I don't know why. Is that what it that is? Is aromatherapy the official name? Yeah, yeah, the official name. I don't know why I was leaving my brain. I guess I wanted to make it something a little bit more fancy. But yeah, aromatherapy <laughs> is a type of therapy. You can retrain your brain to feel. It's like your your feelings come from your thoughts. And if I tell myself that sniffing herbs or using essential oils isn't going to give me the same feeling as wine, then that's the result I'm going to get. It's not going to do anything for me. But if I go into it with this mentality of like, wow, like this is incredible. Like the gift that God in the universe has given us in these herbs and these oils. And it's like, I know I'm kind of going off on a little tangent. Here. Well, can I add something though? Cause the, the nurse and the nerd in me is going to give add science to that. Because there is okay. science to that. When you smell, and I don't, I've never heard the herb thing. I'm going to go try it when we get off. <laughs> but the oil thing, there actually is science that the smelling is the only sense that goes directly to our limbic system, which is where mm. all of our emotions are held. It's the only sense that it, it bypasses everything. It bypasses the thinking and all that. So, which yeah, makes what, sense, right? Because so it might be in our head, but it really does work too. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes you smell things and it takes you back yes. to an experience and it's like you're there again. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so like, it. we're not crazy. I love it. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. So I just, I'm so happy that you came on today because yeah. um, for those of you who are listening, if you are a fan of the Motivation for Moms podcast, if you are a fan of me and we've connected and you've been in community with me in the Motivation for Moms community for a while, then you are just going to love Bridget and what she does. And so um, Bridget, tell us more about how my listeners can get in touch with you, follow you, hire you as a coach, all those things. Yeah. I just want to first just say, Sarah, I just love that you are supporting other moms and other coaches and other dreams. That's not something that everybody does. And I think it just shines. Um, so oh. thank you. Yeah. yeah I don't um, see uh, anybody else as a competitor to me, no. even though we do very similar work. We have a similar story. We help women in a similar yes. way. We all have our unique Totally. way of doing it. And we all have like experiences that we bring with us into our work. And I just know that there are a lot of listeners who would maybe prefer to work with you because of your unique perspective on something and yeah. vice versa. And so it's yeah. like, you know, hashtag women supporting women. We're all Amen. in this together. We're all doing a work to make the world a better place. We really are. And I love that we share the mission. Um, okay. So you can find me on Instagram is where I normally hang out. It's, um, thriving. So um, T-H-R-I-V-I-N-G underscore mama, M-A-M-M-A. Um, the name of my company is Think and Thrive Coaching. So it's www.thinkandthrivecoaching.com. Um, and what I offer is a one-on-one coaching package that has just recently went from a three-month to a six-month because um, a lot of my clients were renewing and wanting just to go deeper. So I've transitioned it to a six-month program of support and accountability. And it's called Discovering You. It's all about just kind of getting back to discovering who you are separate from mom, wife. Like, who are you? What do you like? What triggers you? What energizes you? All the things. Um, And then I also do a group coaching program that is a very small cohort of people. It's called Thrive. And it's this four-week program where we dive into how to stop procrastinating and people pleasing and how to start processing emotions and prioritizing yourself. And it's so much fun. It's, we do a lot of um, uh, meditations and sometimes we dance during the session and it's just fun, fun. and silly. And yeah, it's a good time. So that's where All you can find me. Need 
Yeah, we need more of that in our life. Amen. We need more of you in our life. <laughs> Sarah, thank you for having me. This is fun. Oh, I'm so glad that you're able to come on. Yeah, we met on Instagram and we just, you know, have such so many things in common. And we it's do. just you're a light in this world. And thank you for doing what you do. Because like I always say, when you shine your light, you invite others to do the same and you're yeah. helping to make the world a better place. You know, for those of us who work with moms, I think that there's I don't know about you, but my mission is to make the world a better place for the next generation. Yeah. And in order to do that, I think that moms are some of the most important people in this world to affect the next generation. So thank you for doing what you do. Yeah, thank you. Is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with before we go on sobriety or buffering or the model or any words of encouragement you'd like to leave? Um, I would say the best line I ever heard as a mom and in sobriety as a sober mom, is it, whatever we're doing in this world, it's 75% of what we're actually doing that matters. I'm sorry, I take that back. It's 25% of what we're doing with our kids, with our house, with our finances that matters. It's 75% of how you're doing it. Who Mm. are you being when you're doing those things? Um, Are you doing it from this place of love and abundance and confidence, or are you doing it from this place of control and fear? Um, so focus more on who you're being than what you're doing. I love that. I think motive is really important in anything we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Before you go, I thought I'd ask if you'd be willing to take a moment and leave a review on iTunes or simply share this podcast with a like-minded friend. And if you're on Instagram, you can find me as at Sarah Munder. Take a screenshot, post it to your stories or your feed and tag me so I can see it and give you a shout out on the show. While you're over there, send me a DM and let me know that you're a listener and what your biggest takeaway from the show was was hearing from my listeners is one of my absolutely favorite parts of my day. And so I'd love to hear from you, sister. And if you're ready to change your life, I've got something for everyone on my website, themamamiracle.com, where you can get my free worksheet, the Mama Miracle Manifestation Worksheet, to help you get your mind right for the day. You can join my popular planner makeover course, where you'll learn how to more strategically use a planner to reach your goals, accomplish all of your tasks, and finally make time for what's truly important in your life. Life. This course is for those of you who need new strategies for creating a schedule and getting the most out of your precious time. And if you're ready for a whole nother level, sister, I invite you to apply for my 12-week coaching program, Breakthrough. I only work with moms who are serious about up-leveling every area of their life and are committed to reaching their goals. So if this is you, I want to hear from you. Just go to themamamiracle.com forward slash coaching to apply. That's the mama, M-A-M-A, miracle.com forward slash coaching. Thanks for being here, and I'll see you on the next episode of Motivation for Moms.